This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by the Live Alcohol Experiment, a 30-day science-based and compassion-led journey where you learn to develop a healthier relationship with alcohol without relying on willpower. Why? Because the truth is that willpower runs out. Instead, you learn how to focus on what you gain, not what you give up, so you can feel good about the decisions you make without shame or guilt. With the 30 days of video training, virtual daily coaching, and a private and supportive community, you get that and so much more. Join us today to get happier, healthier, and to take back your life. Your live alcohol experiment starts on the 1st, so sign up at livealcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast, and I'm here with Brandy. Welcome, Brandy. How are you? Thank you you so much, Annie. I'm great today, uh, and it's so good to see you, and it's such an honor to be here, so thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm excited. It's awesome. So why don't you sort of take us back to the beginning with with alcohol? Where did it all start for you? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, So I, it's so interesting, because obviously, in anticipation of this, I've been reflecting a little bit more on my story and the beginnings and where it all started. And it's so interesting how even just now, like a couple of years down the road, new things start coming up. And, you know, you start having new perspectives on things as you grow and change. And so as I've been you know, as I've been thinking about it, like I really like, so looking back on where, where things began for me and I grew up in a household where um, there was kind of like these two, it was sort of two messages that were coming about in the household and that one was alcohol was just really an evil. It was something that, you know, had impacted lives in my family. It was something that had uh, taken lives in our family. And so there was this evil element to it and very much like stay away And then there was a secondary element that it was also at all of the celebrations and all of the parties and all of the holidays and uh, just our fan, you know, if all the family get togethers and nice dinners. And so it's so interesting looking back on that now and seeing sort of that battle of these messages that I saw growing up and, um, and very much like continued into adulthood for me. And so I really kind of stuck with, I was a rule follower and a good kid. And so I really stuck to the alcohol is evil. I'm not going to get into it, but I heard a lot of messaging around it at home um, and saw, you know, contrary evidence to that at home as well. And uh, so, you know, I'd go to the parties in high school, but I would choose not to drink. And so I kind of got to be this active observer then, and it was okay with that. Um, And then I went to college and I remember, and I was 18 and had my like actual first sip of beer (laughs) and it was a warm Coors Light (laughs) at a frat party. And (laughs) yes, yeah, really wonderful experience. And so I was like, oh gosh, I don't even get what the big deal is about this. And so I put it down and I didn't pick it up again until I was 21 actually. And so I'm, as I mentioned, I'm a rule follower. And so at 21, all of a sudden now I have permission to do something that I've been told my entire life I shouldn't be doing. And I have this permission now. And I remember the night of my 21st birthday um, at midnight going with my boyfriend at the time to this, uh, you know, to this bar, this uh, fun, fun location. We're on a date and we wait till midnight. And then I have my first drink. And it was, I think, a Mai Tai or something like that. So, or pina colada, something that tasted good. And I was like, hey, what's the big deal? This isn't that bad. 
And so it felt a little bit like waking that sleeping dragon. Um, and so, uh, so something I think too, that so was so interesting for me is that like, because I wasn't using alcohol during all that time, I was like, I had learned early on to use food. And so mm -hmm. I had kind of learned early in my life, like I can, I can use food and I can hide it and it makes me feel better. And so it was interesting because like, I was able to really hide that from a lot of people growing up. And then I hit 21 and I realized alcohol actually did the same thing, but it was socially acceptable mm -hmm. and it did it in a better way. And um, so it was very interesting because like I saw that quick introduction. Now what's fascinating also is that at the same time I was actually working at a church and um, I was working at a church and I all of a sudden started kind of having this division in my own personal life where I am working with these kids, I'm you know, teaching these messages to these children, and then my personal life decisions I'm making around like going out partying and the decisions I was making with like the people I'm dating and things like that just didn't feel aligned with what I was doing. And so all of a sudden it was like, I had these two kind of, I, I, all of a sudden I realized how I look back now and see how I created that divisiveness and how alcohol created that divisiveness in my life because mm -hmm. it was living these two kind of parallel lives at the same time. These two personalities is almost what it felt like. And so this, that was really how my relationship with alcohol started. And then moving into my twenties, it really was um, a lot of really around just like social. It was very much a social thing for me. I wasn't, um, I kind of like choose, chose the path I was on and it wasn't necessarily as much hiding going on. I wasn't as forthright about what I was doing, but um, it really came out more so in my social situations. Like my husband and I met at a bar, I was bartending. Um, I'm in the restaurant industry at that point in time where it is inundated, you're selling it, you're watching people come in who are celebrating, dealing with grief, having business lunches. You see every element of alcohol. Um, you know, I'm going on trips to do tequila tastings. And, um, and then in my 20s, I've got this social element that is really strong, um, going out to bars, you know, doing, doing the things you do in your 20s, or I did back then and doing that with my husband and our social circle. And then at the same time as well, my professional life started shifting. So I'm in the restaurant industry, I'm in the hospitality industry, working in the restaurants, bartending, managing, things like that. And then all of a sudden I move into this position where I'm going out traveling and I am opening new restaurants and I'm on the road and I'm attending conferences. And this started in my mid to late twenties and I was thinking back on when did I actually start learning to drink alone? Because there was like this faux pas around that for sure. There was definitely a message like, if you drink alone, you have a problem. Well, when I was on those trips, I realized going out on those, you know, being in these hotel bars and at the end of the day, um, it was very easy to grab a glass of wine at the hotel bars, uh, take them up to my hotel room, order room service, get a couple of glasses. And I realized that that's actually where the alone drinking started for me. Mm -hmm. And I started shifting into that, into that, um, you know, idea of like the sophistication tied to it. And this is, I'm the sophisticated professional woman out in the world. And this is what you do. And this is how I'm managing my stress. This is how I'm managing these heavy work days. And I just like see these, these things now, as I look back on how it was evolving for me. 
and just kind of how these like layers started building on top of one another. And so that carried through my 20s, you know, just traveling a lot. And then my 30s is really when kind of that I started, I know in my 30s is when I actually started really questioning what I was doing. Like I was starting to not feel good about it. Um, I was starting to question how much we were going out, how much my husband and I were going out. Um, we live in a community where you can walk to, you know, 20 bars, 20 restaurants. Um, it was very easy and accessible for us. We started going out to dinner and we would, you know, on the way home, pick up a bottle of wine at the, at the liquor store on the way home and then come home and drink that. And so it just started like compiling and compiling. And, um, and then in my late thirties, um, my dad actually got quite sick and very quickly. And um, I, at that point in time, I, I made a decision not to drink during these stretches of time. Like, so I had gone, you know, I had read Sarah, um, Sarah Heppel's book, Blackout. I'm like, oh, I'm not that bad. You know, you do that comparison of like, oh, that's not me. So I can keep drinking. I had read that a couple of years earlier. And um, I, but I had done these, I had done Whole30 programs over the course of time. And in Whole30s, you essentially give up alcohol for 30 days. And I realized um, in hindsight that I was actually doing these Whole30 programs to uh, give up alcohol for 30 days. I would wake up and feel awful. And it gave me a really good and easy excuse to do Whole30. Like a Whole30 gave me a really good excuse to not drink for 30 days. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's what would happen is that on that like day 31, I would quickly come back to like, okay, where's my glass of Prosecco? Where's my glass of red wine? And instead of bringing food back in, I would bring alcohol back in. And I realized like I could just, I was just jonesing for that. And that white knuckling sensation was really happening, um, waiting for that kind of day 31 to kick in. And so I mentioned that because when my dad got sick, um, I wasn't, had just started this like whole 30. And so I made this conscious choice to finish it and had the very, um, the very beautiful opportunity to actually be fully present for him during the course of that time and present for my family. And that was an amazing gift that I could never like take back again. Well, when we lost my dad though, that gave me full permission to go back full fledged into wine and drinking. And um, I started using alcohol to not manage my grief. I thought I was managing it in the sense that it was me, you know, coming home at the end of the day and just, you know, sobbing and like what felt like leaning into my sorrow and my grief and everything coming up. But what was happening was that it was getting me caught. I was getting stuck in this cycle that I couldn't break out of. And I recognized that it was just not moving. My grief was just not shifting in any capacity. And, um, and then unfortunately we ended up with another family situation that was rather difficult um, around another family member's health just a year later and um, a year and a half later, excuse me. And at that point in time, I realized, I'm like, I can't keep doing this. I just had this moment um, of realization where I just recognized I am giving up so much in my life to this bottle. I'm giving up phone calls with family members at night. Um, 
I'm giving up just days at work. I'm functioning, but I'm not, func I'm not performing at my best level. I'm giving up time with the people that I love the most. And all of these things like that shame just compounded. <laughs> um, and also it, at the yeah. same time, like I'd been living in that shame cycle for a long time of like, okay, you know, here's another hangover, but you can push through the day, you know, and, you know, and I had been putting so many rules in place for myself for so long of, you know, I'm not going to drink during the week. I'm only going to drink on the weekends. Um, I'm only going to drink it out. I'm not going to drink at home. And as you know, <laughs> the, as you speak yeah. to and so many of your podcast interviews do, you just, it doesn't, it just doesn't work. And we break those rules and then end up in such a worse mental place. And that's so much of where I was. And so I, during that time period, um, it, I had been following various accounts on social media, this naked mind being one of them. And I hadn't yet read your book, but I'd been watching things on Instagram and connecting with these messages and, you know, reading these posts and going, okay, this isn't just, it's not just me. I'm not alone in this. And when I, um, I saw an opportunity, you were doing your first live alcohol experiments and um, I was signed up between Christmas and New Year's, a bottle of wine in on the couch one night and um, said, I'm taking 30 days off and I'm going to take it off, not around food, not around the intention with a whole 30. I'm taking it off under the guise of I'm not drinking alcohol for 30 days. And I'm going to be honest with myself about that. And I am going to give myself this opportunity just to see what happens. And that was two years ago almost. And yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, Annie, the way you have delivered content and made it so accessible for people and put it in a way that allows us to look at what is happening in our lives, not just the choices that we're making and how they got there and how they happened, but also what the actual, the components of what alcohol is actually doing to us in such a tangible way. It, it just, it changed my life. It changed the course of my life and in no smaller words than that. And so I just continue to be eternally grateful for mm -hmm. you and for that opportunity that was given me back then. So. That's so awesome, Brandy. I, um, I can really relate. Like there are some parts of your story where, you know, you're talking about the first drinking alone was in the mini bar. Like uh -huh. that was so true for me too. And I, I remember looking back and, you know, when you try to look back and like piece it all together and I would be, you know, having traveled away from my, my kids and my husband and there I am like in the middle of wherever by myself. And yeah, it was so acceptable. I remember it being acceptable to expense just huge, like, you know, put it on your hotel bill and nobody, nobody ever said anything, yes. nobody noticed or if they noticed, they just, it was just typical. It was just what people did. And so, yeah, it just became like um, ordering room service with some wine, following that up with the mini bar, going into the mini bar and like kind of taking stock of like, what's here? Like what are my favorites, am I going to have to drink that? Or is this going to be enough, you know, sort of thing. And um, yeah, it's just so interesting because then after I remember the first Naked Mind live event in 2018 and somebody asked me, it was like a question from the audience, or no, no, actually we got this question on email before the event even started. And they said, are you going to um, take the 
the stock out of the mini bars for us. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's still mini bars, like something, it had so fallen off my consciousness that I was just assuming that like somehow there wasn't mini bars anymore, which was so weird. I literally would, it would be like the first thing I would check when I'd go into a hotel room. But, so yeah, funny. I guess I agree to that or the wine list at the bar. So you can grab that glass before you head up to, <laughs> before you head up to your room, like, oh, should I grab two just to play it safe? Uh, uh, yes. It's incredible. Well, and you talk about like the, you know, being at the hotels and, and um, being back in the hotel rooms. And I found it so interesting because one of the correlations for me with alcohol that I didn't actually realize and um, was not just at the end of the workday, but so I, I, my, my career progressed over the course of, over the course of these you know, decades. And uh, I ended up in an executive position in the restaurants industry, in the hospitality industry. And um, about, I think it was about six months after I had quit drinking, I actually had a presentation to do at this conference and I was so nervous. And I, and I, what I forgot <laughs> until it happened was that I used to stay up the night before the conference, like doing all of my last minute prep, generally with a bottle of wine in my room. And that was like my last hurrah of like preparations and like my liquid courage that I'd get, which, oh my gosh, you know, I'm hung over the next day going on stage to do these things, give them my all. And then at the end of the day, come to back to my hotel room. And it was also my celebration. And so like, I had this crazy correlation with a hotel room that I never would have expected until I was in that situation again. And so it's amazing how, when you think about from the professional perspective, those different layers that pop in for me, like I couldn't, I was, I was just in awe of my goodness, this is how I was using this product in so many different ways. Incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. The other thing that I really related to was kind of like, uh, I was reminded for the first time of, you know, being such a rule follower. I remember being in Costa Rica at 18 and um, let's say, no, sorry, I was 19, um, but they their drinking age is 18. And I remember like not drinking the whole trip. I was there for like three months. And uh, then like, I remember having being out to dinner, it was like our last night there or something and being like, oh, we could order a drink. We're 18, you know, and ordering a drink and, and drinking it kind of the last day of the thing. And it was something very fruity, same, same sort of situation. <laughs> but then going back home and being like, maybe I was 20. I don't remember. But anyway, I was, I was over 18, but I was not 21. So I wasn't like, because in my mind, I was like, yeah, like, you know, not really going to drink much till 21. Cause that's like when it's okay. And then I, um, I turned 21 on an airplane to Las Vegas. Actually, I turned 21 <laughs> in Vegas. So basically I was on an airplane and I was by myself. I was flying out to meet a friend of mine who he was also turning like 21. He, his birthday was the 26th mine was the 28th. So he was already there with his family. I was flying out to meet him. We were going to like do the whole Vegas thing for our 21st birthday. And I remember being on the airplane with this couple next to me and they're asking me why I'm going and stuff. I was like, well, I'm going to be 21 in a few hours. And it was really kind of in my mind, sort of important to me to be like, and, and I drank, you know, in high school and stuff, but that was kind of like the rule breaking me. And then I was in this rule following phase. So I don't want to give the impression that I didn't drink till I was 21. Cause that wasn't true. I did, I did drink here and there in high school, but, um, but then 
I had this idea that I was going to have like a drink on my, you know, when I turned 21 in Vegas, mm -hmm. like that night, later that night, same thing at midnight. Um, but this woman next to me, she's like, oh, you're almost there. Like I'll order you something on the plane. And she was so nice. And, and I just was like, but I'm not like, it's a few hours, but she's like, I'm going to order it for you. And then it's going to be fine. And so she ordered the drink or whatever from, I forget what it was from the stewardess. And, um, and I just remember feeling like all like kind of weird about it from like, I guess I was just so deep in the, like, I was like, Oh, kind of ruined it. I had that drink <laughs> with that stranger on the plane instead of like waiting till I was midnight. Anyway, I totally forgot all of that until you were saying that whole story. How funny. Isn't that, how, isn't it amazing? Like, but, but like I was talking about with the hotel room, like how those moments just like kind of flood you all of a sudden and go, Oh my gosh, I can't believe how much I had tied to this moment of, in my life. Like this big moment, you're turning 21 and you know you, and how we how we just use it and we get so trained that it's such a big way yeah, even if not a drinker like I yes. wasn't a drinker yet I was making all of these plans <laughs> like all of these plans like <laughs> getting on an airplane plans you know right. <laughs> 21st birthday and then I like you I didn't I didn't go on to like really get into drinking till I was probably um till after I was married after I was living in New York was when I really started drinking and that would have been I got married at 26 so you know, but I, I would, I would drink on occasion. I just don't remember it being a really big deal. Like I remember mm -hmm. my roommate and I thinking, oh yeah, a glass of wine is good for the heart. So we try to make an effort to like drink glasses <laughs> of wine on occasion and feel posh. But um, yes. yeah, it's so interesting how it kind of comes back and you're like, oh yeah, that was a piece of that whole thing. It is fascinating how, I mean, I hope that I was going to Vegas for other reasons too, like just have fun and be with friends. But a lot of it was around drinking. And then I do remember feeling the whole trip kind of like annoyed with myself that I couldn't just tell that woman, no, I just wanted to wait. And like that I <laughs> just kind of ruined it by having that drink on the plane and, you know, which is so, so silly. Um, yes, but it's like that entrance into society for us is like that 20, that 21st drink. And mm -hmm. so it makes so much sense that you experienced that. Um, it's funny as you talk about Vegas, uh, I live in Southern California and so Vegas is a, it's a driving trip for us. And my husband, when we were first dating, um, we went out to Vegas for, uh, gosh, this was in the first year that we were dating and we went out to Vegas for a trip together for a few days and, oh my gosh, like, yeah, it was just permission to just let loose. It was like, you could, you know, the whole idea of what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You feel like yeah. you can just, you know, kind of just like let loose. And, you know, we're going to, you know, we're going out at clubs at two o'clock in the morning and, you know, just like, just living this way that we, um, yeah, just living this way. And I remember just being, I remember ordering room service at like four o'clock in the morning and, you know, the wrong food showing up because probably I couldn't say it. <laughs> well, um, but just funny how those, uh, you know, we look back on those and go, goodness gracious, these were, these were the situations that, you know, just, I laugh because it's, it's also, it's also the situations that like ingrained it and it just started making it okay. And more and more okay mm -hmm. for me down the road. And yeah. it was just, you know, it was, it was the, the twenties was all about, like, there was a lot of not, not positive associations that happened in my twenties, uh, around the social elements of alcohol. And, you know, I remember just, you know, gosh, getting in fights with my husband and, you know, all of these things. And, um, but mostly it was just associated with going out to bars and having people over and having these big social events at our home. Um, and then the other part of it too, you know, I think back then is that, um, 
you know, it was interesting being in the hospitality industry at that point in time, because when you think about that, like, you know, obviously alcohol has inundated every industry, but mm -hmm. one of the things that was so interesting then is, or in that particular industry, is that what happens when the bars and the restaurants close at two o'clock in the morning, you have this whole culture that exists outside and past the two o'clock hour with these like restaurant and bar workers because things wrap up and there's nowhere to go, at least in California, everything closes by two and uh, you wrap up at the end of the day. And what do you do? There's nothing else to do at two o'clock in the morning, except for, you know, stop by the store um, and, you know, go to somebody's house and drink in house parties and things like that and do that until three or four o'clock in the morning. So just so interesting when we look back on just kind of how these ideas shift where I went from this, like, you know, it's this evil thing that I really shouldn't be touching. And if I do, it's going to wake the sleeping dragon. And then you just sort of continue to go down that path. And it's so interesting to me too, because like, I look, I stand back and look at it and look at that progression of like, it was strictly around fun. And then it went into, it went into it being really a, you know, very much a social and social engagement for me. And then it went into it being a professional engagement. And then it went into me, um, like just managing my life by myself or not managing my life by myself. And, you know, I just look at that progression over the course of essentially almost a 20 year time frame, And it just, it, it's fascinating to look at just that use and how it changes over the course of time too. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. It's so interesting and how you feel about it changes and yeah, it becomes yeah. like a friend, frenemy. And then yes, such a good way to say it. Yeah, exactly. So let's talk about what you're doing now because you have been certified as a Disney mind coach. And so how is, how is that whole thing going? I have been, and it's such an, I mean, it's truly such an honor to, to be as well. And it means, um, it means the world to actually be supporting people now with, I, it, through your work and just, and through being able to like tie in my own life experience as well. Um, and so that has been really, um, it's been incredible. So I it, primarily right now, I work with one-on-one -on -one clients and teaching your programs, which I love doing. Um, I've met some amazing people through there. And I will say like watching people have these breakthroughs of like what is getting in their way or what is holding them back mentally. Because for me, so much of this, the ties were emotional ties. And I realized that about two weeks into doing the 30 day alcohol experiment. And, you know, it was this reflection of my goodness, I'm using alcohol as more than a habit. It's not just a habit for me. I'm using it to curb loneliness. I'm using it to not deal with the hard things in life. I'm using it to, to be my warm blanket at the end of the day, to de-stress, whatever it might look like. And a lot of it for me was like, just not wanting to face things in life. And so the idea that there are so many people that are willing to do that same work and look into that for themselves is so inspiring to me. It truly is incredible to just watch and see people just uncover these, have these realizations of like, you know what? No, alcohol didn't improve the situation in any capacity or yeah, I have been using alcohol in this way. Here's where it came from. Like, here's when I started doing that. Um, and I want to change that and I have the power to change it. It's, 
it's like watching that empowerment process happen is just incredible. It's really incredible to watch. You know, I think there's so much messaging out there that is about the idea that alcohol has control over us. That's so much of the, you know, there's the rhetoric that we've heard over the years. It's like, if you have a problem with alcohol, you can never be in control of alcohol and it always will have control over you. It always has that power to get back. And I think the beautiful part of this process most primarily is watching that shift happen and that it's actually people taking their power back from alcohol, not just rescinding it and just saying, fine, I'll just not, I'll choose not to have you in my life anymore, alcohol, but I know you still have all this power over me and this, these strongholds and these claws. And I, the most beautiful process to me is watching people go through and realize like, no, I don't want this in my life anymore. I don't need this in my life anymore. And really making those conscious choices and having those shifts happen because that is just, my gosh, it's a really beautiful thing to see. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah, And when we first met at the training in Denver, um, you asked a great question. And one of the things that struck me about you specifically is like, you just have so much intention and integrity around um, the client's well-being. So, you know, you're so almost overly concerned to, to do the right thing and to bring in all the right tools and, and even taking on the responsibility of, of helping somebody um, change was, was so thoughtful for you. And I've just always really appreciated that about you. And I'm sure that the people you work with do as well. It's awesome. Annie, thank you. That really means the world to hear you say that and have that recognition. And, and that was a year and a half ago. So thank you for that. Um, I really almost a year and a half ago. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. That really truly means the world to me. I appreciate awesome. it greatly. It's so fun to watch what you're doing and, and growing and how you're going into this and, and all the people that you're helping. So, so where can people find you? If they want to get in touch. Yeah. So I can be found at littlebigleap.com. That is uh, so, you know, my, I, my whole, my whole concept around that was that, you know, every step you take leads to change. And like you talk about the big domino in your work, Annie, and that there's this like alcohol really is that big domino for so many of us. And it was for me. And what feels like for so many of us is taking this small step of like just getting alcohol out of the way it really ends up for so many of us being that big leap that happens and it doesn't look like it or feel like it in the moment but then you look back in hindsight and go my gosh that like I said that's changed the course of my life and I've seen that happen with so many clients too just empowering them to make like removing alcohol and taking that power back gives them power in so many other areas of their life and that's what's such a beautiful thing to see. So, so that's, so to, to mention, that's where the name came from. It's little big leap. I, I was going to ask, so I'm glad you said it because I was like, Hmm, you have to explain. <laughs> yes, um, that's great. And so, so Brandy, let me ask you, um, the question that I always ask sort of at the end, which is if you were going to go back in time, uh, to, you know, the Brandy who was not where she wanted to be. Um, what would you tell her about what life is like now? How would you mm. What I would tell her that life is like now is that there's actual freedom and that you're going to laugh bigger and also cry harder than you have in decades. And that's exactly how life is supposed to be felt and experienced. 
And there is something truly magical about that. I'm getting teared up thinking about it right now. Um, just because I think that gets alcohol just dulls so much of that for us. It dulls so much of our life and so much of how we're supposed to experience life. And once that is out of your system and you have the ability to truly experience life in the way that it's meant to be felt, even the hard stuff, there is just such a gift in that, a true gift in it. And so that's what I would say. Don't be scared of it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, don't, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's nothing to be scared of. Yeah. Yeah. For me, that, that gift has been really profound in the sense that like, you can't, you can't stand by anymore. Um, yeah. You can't just stand by with the things in your life that, you know, you know, can be fixed, you know, can be addressed, but you're not because you just keep numbing away the pain. Um, and you can't stand by in the world once you kind of sort out your own BS, right? Like you yes. just become activated, I think, in a way that's really beautiful and so needed in, in our world and uh, alcohol really takes that from us like we can we can look around we can see hard things and then we go pour ourselves some drinks and we can be like okay well hopefully someone else will deal with that and when you're not drinking you don't have that that luxury um which really robs you of so much because you know we are here to to give and contribute and love and support each other and you know it sounds like woo woo but that's been such a true thing for me that like mm. when you don't have that numbing agent and you have to live fully awake you do feel all the things. And by feeling all the things, like there's a reason, like we weren't born with like instructions to take two, you know, glasses when you're feeling sad, that, that just wasn't, wasn't the narrative. It wasn't how it was supposed to be or intended. And so feeling the things is like, Hey, 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 something here needs your attention. Something here can be helped. Something here, you know, can be fixed. And over and over all the things all the things, I mean, the hardest things to the easiest things from like uncovering wounds in the past and talking to, you know, my mom and like mm. the things that just, you think, you think about doing, they make you want to throw up the things you're like, oh, I'm just never going to go there because that's just a no-go. Um, but every time that I, you know, without alcohol, have the courage to go into them and come out the other end, I'm like, oh, what was I waiting for? Like, it was mm. never as bad or as dark. And there's always such fruit on the other side of actually going, going into the, the, you know, looking under the rock, seeing the creepy crawlies instead of like, just, you know, <laughs> pulling up a chair, yes. pretending the rock doesn't exist. And there's nothing, nothing to be found. It's so true, Annie, you know, as you mentioned that it makes me think about the, all of the hard conversations that I've had in the last couple of years now that I never thought I'd be capable of having the hard conversations at work, at home, um, just throughout my family. I and mean, those are, there are, there have been, and I was terrified of them. And like you said, it's there, you come out on the other side of them. Okay. You do. And trusting that process. And like, actually, actually it, there is, it's just that, that stepping into your power. And mm -hmm. I love it. It's, it's really amazing. Yeah. You come out on the other side. Okay. And then you start to learn that like, oh my gosh, this stuff is better out than in. Yes. Like life is better when you fix all the internal. I remember a point in my life where I literally would have a stack and this is how long ago this was, how, how per pervasive it was for me. But I'd go to the library, I'd buy like, you know, rent, whatever, check out. <laughs> That's the word. Like five <laughs> or six, like books on tape with like 12 CDs each, you know, mm -hmm. and I'd be, I'd have my five CD changer in my dashboard. And if I was not listening at home to something or doing something at home or had the TV on, 
I would have to turn that on immediately when I got in the car. Like I would never, ever allow time for just me and my mind to be like, I was literally like, no, it's a, it's a bad place. Like I, I almost would envision it as if there were just like fences and things that I couldn't go close to, because if I Mm. thought about that, it was all going to come down. Like, and so I was like living in this very narrow existence because I wasn't even comfortable inside my own head or inside my own, Mm. you know, inside my own body. And so, um, yeah, sometimes you're forced to do some of that stuff, kicking and screaming, because you feel it and you're like, okay, I just have to do this because the alternative is worse. But then also you build a muscle to be like, no, I'm going to go into the discomfort. I'm going to go into the hard places. And then you build a life that just is like, so like almost blissful half the time. You're like, wow, how is this possible? How do I look around my life? And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I'm just, it doesn't matter. It's not, it's not for me, the big things like the it's just the really little things like, mm. oh, wow, that tree. Yes. <laughs> right. Who am I? How am I finding so much happiness in this tree? So <laughs> It's true, though. It does. I mean, you just, you're like you say, you just end up becoming so much more aware of the beauty walking through life. And, and the beauty is sometimes in the hard stuff, too. Like, there's so much beauty in the, in the, like, in the hard things, but also in those in just those small little moments that we, it's so easy for us to take them for granted. You know, it's, um, it's like forgetting to look at and watch the sunset every day. We have, we have the opportunity to look out and see this and, you know, see this gorgeous sky. And how many times do you actually take a moment to think and watch, take that opportunity in, um, in those little moments. Yes. I, I'd agree with you. It's, it's the appreciation that it opens up. It actually opens up space for much appreciation in life too. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brandy, for being here. It was such a pleasure. Oh, Annie, thank you. I I just, I can't thank you enough for this. And, and again, for, for really supporting, um, supporting so many people and for truly, truly changing. I know I said at the start of the hour, but truly changing the course of my life and giving me an opportunity to really live in a place of freedom for myself and, um, and, and, and in a place of truth, like in a place of truth and honesty, I talked about that divisiveness of life and who I was, which felt like that carried through a lot of my life of, you know, having kind of these parallel people that I was, these parallel lives I was living and these parallel people I was being. And I can truly say that, I mean, the fact that I'm here today, that I'm sharing this says, you know, that's, that is gone. That's it's done. So it's beautiful. So thank you. I really appreciate this. Yay. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Hey, I'm so excited because we are literally just about to start another live alcohol experiment. And if you don't know about the alcohol experiment, you need to literally drop everything right now and go to livealcoholexperiment.com. Here's the thing. This is a 30-day challenge, and it's designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You'll know it's that version that's living the most joyful life, that version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or have a good time, and that version that's having more fun and is more peaceful than ever. Again, it's just a 30-day challenge. It's live every single day. It's starting on the 1st, so hurry up. Join me at livealcoholexperiment.com. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.